friends, family, and runners of all ages, welcome to another episode of the MR Running Pains Podcast. This is Aaron Saft, as always. Um, and as promised today, I have my friend, uh, fellow coach and runner, Patrick Regan, with me. Um, Patrick is a dynamic athlete, very fun to follow. Uh, Strava and uh, social media, he goes all over the place and has all sorts of experiences. Um, man, just a, a wonderful person and friend. Uh, really excited to have him on today. Our chat is going to be on um, anaerobic intervals and whether uh, you know it should be included in all runners training, all runners being uh, those that may uh, still be in school doing track and cross country uh, to those racing the roads, 5K and 10K, um, as well as ultra runners um, and everything in between. <laughs> so uh, really great conversation with Patrick here. A uh, lot to discuss after the show. So um, please stick around. Uh, but uh, I hope you enjoy our conversation. And here's Patrick. Wrote this song while Crew and Aaron on a 100-mile foot race through the trails in the rain and mud. How about that? So I have with me Patrick Regan. Um, Patrick, how are you today? Hey, Aaron. 
Yeah, nice to see you face to face, man. Uh, it's uh, I don't see friends face to face too often nowadays, so this is nice. I know this is is very nice. Uh, Patrick and I are recording on on March fourth. Um, so if anything happens, the apocalypse comes upon us. Um, just know that this was <laughs> recorded uh, a little bit before that. So, um, Patrick, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Give us a little bit of background. Yeah, so I'm a native to Pennsylvania, southwestern PA, uh, north of Morgantown, West Virginia, south of Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, I grew up there, ran high school, uh, cross country and track and field. Uh, spent a year down in West Virginia running out of college and finished at uh, Slippery Rock University of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, relatively successful collegiate career there, especially cross country was like my thing, you know. Um, took some time off of uh, running post-collegiately, uh, did other things, played uh, washboard percussion and some uh, ragtime groups that ran around the country, uh, rode, a, rode a pedicab here in Savannah uh, for a couple years for employment, and then got back into running and, and coaching, coached collegiately for, for seven years. Um, and I've been a professional athlete at Hoka Oneone for five years now. Awesome. And uh, what did you major in in college? Uh, I majored in exercise science. I, I only have my bachelor's. I uh, had a unfinished concentration in coaching. It was a cool offering at Slippery Rock University of PA. Uh, I, I didn't finish that uh, minor, but I, I'd taken you know four or five coaching classes, and and I felt uh, as though my collegiate coach prepared me really well to to coach. Uh, he knew that was you know what I kind of wanted to do long term with my career. Right on. And uh, talk about the uh, the athletes that you coach. Yeah, so I, I coach uh, 25 to uh, you know, 30 athletes. So that's about uh, my load. Um, you know, I have a LLC uh, down here based in Savannah, Georgia. I coach athletes, uh, both Olympic kind of distance specialists. I coach anyone from, from steeplechasers um, that are in between coaches in these COVID times, um, all the way up to, you know, 24-hour type specialists uh, like, like Jake Jackson. I work, I work with, uh, I work with Jake Jackson, um, work with Nicole Manette, who has the the course record up at Yeti. Um, and then, I, I mean, I, I have athletes of uh, all different levels, you know, people that are trying to complete their first 50 K complete their first hundred, um, all the way up through, you know, other pros. Nice. Nice. Um, do you feel you have, um, you know, more of a, a specialty when it comes to, um, obviously, you know, you, you said you covered track athletes, but when you get to ultras, is there a more specific type of ultra athlete that you feel you're, you're strongest with? Yeah, I feel like I'm probably best with coaching athletes that are, you know, trying to run road ultras, um, really runnable trail ultras, um, from, you know, 50 K distance up to, uh, the hundred mile distance. I also am really digging working with uh, 24 hour specialists that are, you know, interested in, uh, working, uh, to, you know, try to hit those marks for the USA team on the track. Um, I, I love talking a lot about, uh, you know, eating, uh, working on, <laughs> you know, the right number of calories per hour, uh, the right composition and medium of those calories with my athletes. Um, yeah. So I, if you're looking for a coach for hard rock, I'm probably not your guy. But if you're looking for someone to prepare you for, you know, a flatter or more rolling runnable hundred, that that's probably what I specialize best in. Nice. And you have a new coach coming on board as well. Do you want to talk about that for a moment? Yeah. So uh, an old friend of mine, uh, formerly Nicole Blazer, uh, now Nicole Manette, reached out to me uh, last summer about preparing her for the Yeti hundred. Um, and we worked together really well leading into that event. Um, she signed a contract with Hoko and Aone as well, and she was uh, second at 
the uh, Hokonai, um Project Carbon X2 this year. She was you know running down that leader in the in the latter miles. Um, Nicole's a physical therapist up in <laughs> Michigan, um, so in extremely cold weather. Uh, but we we both live in very flat places, and our experiences are you know events quite similar to one another, like Tunnel Hill uh, for her, Yeti, um, you know, road hundred Ks now. She's got a background in, um, you know, running uh, at a pretty high level. She ran at Brooks Hansen's. Uh, she ran 234 in the marathon and was is fifth at the, I think, 2012 USA Marathon Championships. So Nicole has a, a background, I think, that complements mine really well because she's much more educated than me. Um, having her doctorate level physical therapy degree, uh, she has the terminal degree of, uh, you know, what my bachelor's is in, essentially. So we're really excited to, uh, you know, to be partnering as coaches together. I think it's going to be a really nice balance and, uh, we're going to, you know, do our best to push each other to do a little bit more content creation and, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. So. Awesome. Yeah. Um, at the close of the show, um, we'll have how to uh, reach out to them and then I'll also put it in the show notes as to how you can reach out to, uh, to Patrick and Nicole. Um, and today we're, we're going to kind of get into, um, anaerobic training, um, and, uh, we'll probably get off topic at points. So bear with us. And, <laughs> um, but uh, I really appreciate Patrick being here. So, uh, been looking forward to this conversation. So thanks for being on, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Aaron. I'm looking forward to chatting here. Umstead, um, it's just such a, kind of out of my uh um wheelhouse so far you know with hundreds because i've never quite done a hundred like umstead you know it's it's always had some kind of uh you know technical single track or, or you know or hill or something you know mountain <laughs> so uh just uh thinking about like you know running uh pretty much you know like 100 straight miles like you've done <laughs> it's uh you know it's a little bit intimidating <laughs> um to think you know i'm going to try to run this long and uh you know that that kind of ties in nicely to uh to you know what i wanted to talk about today um but i, I think um, it's a different type of daunting right where you don't get the break me and me and Zach Bitter have talked about this somewhere you don't get the break you can't depend on the downhill carrying you and bombing it. You can't say, Oh cool. Like I get to hike at four miles per hour for a little while up this huge climb. Like you are solely dependent on pushing yourself and powering your own self forward. (laughs) Gravity does not help you, you know? Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and so, um, you know, to kind of give you a little bit of background of, of where this kind of came from this topic that I've, you know, about uh, doing kind of anaerobic work. Um, I've been taking a Lydiard, um, it's level three now. Um, and, uh, Keith Livingstone, uh, Dr. Keith Livingstone, he's, he's kind of a really big disciple of, uh, of Lydiard. He was presenting and we weren't really touching on the anaerobic system just yet. Um, but you know, he, you know, just kind of in places where it made sense, kind of said, well, you know, like um, phase two of, of Lydiard is to do um, like plyometrics, basically strength training and kind of catch up the, the skeletal muscle system. And so, uh, you know, he's like, well, we're, we're not quite going anaerobic here because we're keeping the effort low. You know, we're, we're really working on power. Uh, so, um, you know, and, you know, like for our ultra runners, you know, this is this is great for strength training. Um, cause we don't ever want to go anaerobic, 
And I was like, well, wait a second. Like, why, why wouldn't you like, you know, so sure. I said, you know, in the, just in the chat, I was kind of like, well, you know, I, like I incorporate an anaerobic phase. What, you know, what's, what's the trouble there? Um, and, um, Dr. Livingstone was reading through the comments and it was like, really, why, why would you ever include an anaerobic phase? And, you know, not necessarily attacking me, but, you know, um, <laughs> if, if anybody knows me, I hate confrontation, <laughs> you know, like, and especially hate being like questioned, you know, when I'm, I'm in a class, you know, yeah. and, and by all means, he, he certainly can question me because his belief was that ultra runners should just sustain aerobic capacity. Um, whether that be just, you know, up to threshold. So you can include tempos, like tempos would still be in that aerobic zone, according yeah. to what you believed. Um, but beyond that, why on earth would you do anything like that? Why would you tax your system? Why would you require the recovery? Why would you go out of the, you know, the fat adaptation zone, if you will, because that's what we really need to train for, for longer distances. Um, so I said, oh, well, you know, you know, here's some of the reasons why I, I do it, you know, and I, and he said, well, let's have a conversation. And um, so actually that conversation we had last night um, on Zoom, um, you know, and, and uh, both presented our cases, you know, uh, where he was coming from, which, you know, like, uh, you know. So I'm interested uh, to hear more about that, Aaron. Like, um, yeah, you, you know, what, what was his perspective on why to never do? And then what was your perspective on like why you would implement and with what types of ultra runners. Cause it, there's like a lot of different categories of, of ultra runner oh, here, yeah. from Joe, yeah. Joe gray yeah. to yeah. Uh, a vol state or Spartathlon specialist. Like, yeah. you right. know, it's very different. Yeah. So, and so, um, I, I, I will say that his kind of, um, um, his perception of ultra running was, you know, very specific. Like it, it he wasn't considering, ultra running in the broad category of what it really is. Um, he presented me with, uh, um, a gentleman that did a 24 hour, uh, he was a 77 year old and, and, you know, did an amazing run for 24 hours. Um, it, but, uh, you know, that was kind of, he's not an experienced ultra runner in, in his, you know, his own right. So he's going off the experiences of others. Um, he, you know, kind of talked about, um, Dr. Mark Cazella, uh, the West Virginian, um, he's done, um, JFK and, um, comrades quite a few times and had some really good success. And, um, you know, Dr. Mark is a, a really big advocate, uh, Maffetone, mm -hmm. you know, kind of staying in that, that aerobic zone, um, and, uh, and, and not kind of pushing the envelope much. Um, so, uh, you know, to, to go back to your question, he was saying that, um, we create, you know, so much lactate and breakdown, um, on the cellular level okay. that it, you know, the recovery time from it and the effects of it, since it takes us out of that fat burning zone, which is what we really want to be really efficient at it for, for ultras. It, like that's the reason why you would not incorporate it because you could still, you know, potentially get such good training out of just staying within you know, that aerobic zone. Um, and so, you know, for a person that's, that's running a 24 hour, um, that wants to go as far as they can, that makes sense, right? Yeah. You're, you're trying to be aerobic and as aerobic, you know, have that big cardiovascular machine sure. and get that as powerful as possible. And so that you can keep running and keep turning over those miles, mile after mile, you know, hour after hour. Yeah. Well, or maybe even uh, a person that's trying to run JFK in under the cutoff or around, right. around 10 hours plus, right? Like yeah. it, it, it totally yeah. makes sense from his perspective, I think for 
for that category of ultra runner, which, hey, a lot of our population is trying to, uh, the ultra running population is trying to make cutoff, right? Right. Have a good solid aerobic system for that. Yeah. And so, you know, but, and to the the converse, so what I proposed to him, I said, what about those people that are constantly fighting and never making cutoffs? Those people have probably all of their lives trained aerobically. They never change paces. They've never tried to do anything to to move up their max VO2 yeah, to sure. increase that ceiling or that fitness ceiling. I said, what about those people? Like, how do you increase that? Like, they've been doing <laughs> aerobic forever, you know? And so how do you change that? What do you add? Like, what would you do? And he said, well, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, so yeah, so if you, you know, if you throw in some high intensity intervals, you're going to increase that, you know, that max VO2, give them a new level of fitness that perhaps now they're going to get ahead of those cutoffs. So that was one of my examples. And, um, you know, as you said, with like with Joe Gray, mountain runners, right? Like there's no way that some of these mountains and races that we prepare for that you can't, you know, just do it aerobically. You're going to go, you know, deficient, aerobically deficient. Yeah. yeah. If you're the type of runner like Max King that that may run top five at Western States, but could win a 12K or or 10K uphill mountain running world championships, you will go anaerobic on the low end of that scale, right? And we're not just talking elite runners. Like we're talking someone that's interested in, in going and running in New Hampshire at the, you know, US mountain running championships, you know, age grouper, like trying to, trying to win their age group um, or just trying to compete at a high level. That's very different from completing your hundred mile or you have planned later in the season. And I think the two can give you a, a, a great breadth of uh, a great breadth of experience and a great breadth of like, this is what I do half of my year or maybe a quarter of my year develop higher end um, zone four, zone five, <laughs> you know, work on my running efficiency and running economy. Um on the type of specific terrain that I plan to race on the other half of the year, very low end anaerobic trying to make cutoff at hundred milers. Yep. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, it's, I had a few other um, kind of points that like, you know, we talk about at, you know, athletes that are like yourself that are going from a low elevation and racing at a high elevation, right? Um, how on earth, you know, can you make any adaptations to an athlete you know, uh, that's going to be racing at a, at a high altitude without, you know, and they're not going to be able to travel there and become acclimated. So, you know, what training adaptations can we make for those runners? And I mean, you know, one of the best things you can do is kind of get them as fit as possible. And, you know, with that regard, if we're going to try to get them uh, as fit as possible, uh, you know, I'm going to want to work on their max VO2. And uh, again, you know, insert some high intensity intervals that are going to put them in that position to be okay or the best they can be when they get to that, that altitude. Sure. Um, sure. That's, you know, that, that, that's an interesting perspective too. Something I hadn't considered, like what do you do with a sea level, <laughs> an individual at sea level to, to just improve that, that, that baseline of fitness, right. Um, sending them to, to an altitude, whether it's me trying to go to Leadville to run against Jim Wamsley or, or someone in Florida that wants to go to Leadville to complete it. But, they're probably going to go anaerobic at some point. <laughs> like you probably don't want to go over that line while, while you're going up hope, but there's no guarantee. Right. 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 So, so you need experience yep. yeah. in, in those different systems. I, I think there's a lot of value as well. Um, I, I believe that like the anaerobic, 
it, this isn't something I necessarily incorporate with athletes. I train unless they say, I'd really like to work on my leg speed development for, for a month. Like I'm just really tired of <laughs> the, the same old rhythm of running paces from half marathon race pace to, you know, kind of long runs at hundred mile type effort. Could, could we try something different? This past year, I worked with a gentleman up in Pennsylvania, a longtime friend, uh, Brad Wingler, and he said, I want to just see while I'm, you know, still around my mid thirties, how fast can I run a mile? I want to break five minutes. It's like a big lifetime goal. And I, I think this is the time to do it. And we dedicated an entire block, like we dedicated six or eight weeks. And that was anaerobic. Brad's done Hellgate a bunch of times. You know, he's done Oil Creek a bunch of times. And we got him there, like he broke five minutes in the mile. And, and we didn't do that without a lot of anaerobic development. And that that's strange, but I think that it will long-term help Brad to improve his running efficiency and economy as well. Like if you look at the best ultra runners at some point in their life, they were 800 or 1500 meter specialists. And, th- and that could have been at the high school level, but, but they had that phase of development at some point in their life of running <laughs> their lifetime of running. And, and I think there's value in that, even if it doesn't equate with your goals in ultra running. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. You know, and it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a risk reward, right? Because we're putting them at at such a high intensity that the propensity for, for injury is higher. We have a, you know, a potential for a higher injury rate with, you know, with doing this, especially if we're not cognizant of what their form is. Right. So, you know, even if you have just the slightest hitch in your form, it's going to manifest itself tenfold, you know, when you're at these speeds. So we have to be careful with it too, and how we use it and how often we use it. Um, when you do that type of stuff, um, let's say that we have um, somebody that's not really familiar with a, a high intensity uh, or, you know, a uh, uh, an anaerobic workout. How would you introduce that to the runner? It, to me, it's it, just like anything else, Aaron. Um, it, it's all about periodization. <laughs> when do you do this type of work? I, I think there are probably 20 different answers. I, I think we could talk to Jason Coop. I think we could talk to David Roche. I, uh, I think we could talk to, um, or Megan, you know, um, I, I think we could talk to you or me and we'd say we'd do it at different times from, from the perspective of, let's say I was working with a former collegiate athlete that was transitioning into ultra running. I would feel comfortable after two weeks of training with them that they could do a anaerobic based block very early in the training cycle of us long range training for a, their first 50 K let's say, because that athlete is used to coming off of cross country, building back up slowly with aerobic based mileage. And in the month of January, they're, they're probably going to do quite a bit of efficiency and economy work there. If they come from some like a Jack Daniels based program, it's common to either go over distance in the winter or under distance in the winter, where if you're an indoor miler, you could do, or or if your focus is 5k, 10k outdoors, you could do 1500s or mile and 3k indoors, right? You have this type of experience, Aaron, Um, you do some under distance racing in the winter. So you need to prepare the anaerobic system for that type of training. Working with an athlete like that, that's preparing for say their first 50 K is very different from working with someone that maybe became a runner in their thirties, you know, as a way to get healthy. Um, 
and is now working towards completing their first hundred miler. I would be much more careful with that type of individual than I would a collegiate athlete that I know could tolerate that in that cyclical way. I think you also have to think about like when you would introduce it, it, how close proximity you are to goal races, because this is going to be a tax on the system for different types of athletes in different ways. So it, I would almost introduce this more in an off season for a runner that recovered from a previous ultra running season and is maybe 16 weeks from a goal race. So, so I would maybe look at introducing it like weeks 16 through like 12 for that type of runner in the approach to their, their goal event. I I wouldn't, I wouldn't put something like this within 12 weeks of a goal event. I, I think you need to become more specific to the type of train you're running on in, in those final 12 weeks um, and, and to the energy systems you're actually going to use in the event. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And that's how I set it up as well. Um, I, I use this, you know, what I kind of term as a, a max VO two phase at the, uh, at the beginning of a training cycle. And it's usually, you know, the 16 weeks out after we've had a really good base period. Um, you know, I like, just as we were talking about earlier with Lydiard, he believed in a huge base period. And that's, I like to include, you know, at least six weeks of just aerobic running. There may be some, some short strides. Um, you know, there may be some, some fartlek where they kind of get into just doing shorter, you know, two minutes or under type of intervals, but not at an intensity like anaerobic. We want to, I try to be clear with that. You know, I want it to be still kind of tempo or less, you know, and I tell them if possible, do it on single track because single track is going to kind of create that environment for fartlek because you've got turns, you've got hills, you've got downhills. So it actually, you know, turns into speed play because of the trail, the trail, you know, kind of conducts you, if you will, as to how you should run your paces. Um, but I mean, after that base phase, you know, it's, it's also good to kind of set the body up. Um, and that's, you know, again, what Lydiard was believing is, is having that, that strength to make sure it's capable, right? Because we've, we've created this huge, as we talked about that, this huge engine with the heart. Now we've got this like huge cardiovascular power, but we also have to catch up the body. The body doesn't train as fast as the heart. So once we get the, you know, the strength component and we make sure that they're, you know, good to go, then we can kind of increase uh, the, uh, the speed, the intensity uh, and bring that phase in if we so choose, if it's needed for that athlete, um, which I agree, like 50 K, you know, 50 K really, I mean, it's not that far off from the marathon, you know, yeah, we're, for we're sure. stepping up five miles. And I mean, it depends on the course, of course, you know, but uh, you know, the, the, the 50k runners, I still say, you know, you can still train it like it's, it's a marathon, especially if they have like a, a goal time or, um, you know, it's a hard course. These are, you know, it's really, it's kind of a marathon in and of itself, but you know, I, I agree that, you know, you put that VO2 up front and that way they've got plenty of time to recover from it. It also increases their fitness and they're capable of, of kind of carrying forward with this new level of fitness, um, that will make their paces faster. You know, when you start doing threshold, they start sustaining faster paces because you've, you've had that, that base. Now, you know, we kind of talked about you know, what, uh, what we do, but what, well, let's define what, what do we, how would we define like the anaerobic zone? How would you term it? Like what percentages are we talking about? Especially when we talk about like ultra runners, um, what do you think we would be talking, uh, so far as like, uh, percent of, we could say percent of heart rate or, um, rate of perceived exertion. Like we could talk each way. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of coaches train, you know, both ways, but, um, what, what do you think? Well, first of all, anaerobic 
it is usually equated with middle distance events and and shorter, right? We're talking we're we're talking hundred meter, well, sixty meter sprinters to probably eight hundred meter runners. <laughs> I mean, I think the eight hundred is so fast. It, of course, it's it's the hybrid of anaerobic and aerobic. I think that's where it begins, but the, the 800 is so fast now that, that, that really, I, th- I think a lot of athletes are so good at running 140, like minute 40 seconds. That that's pretty anaerobic for anyone in the world. I would say it, it, it definitely teeters towards that edge of the scale. So if we're, if we're looking at the 800 as our defining point there, also anaerobic meaning without oxygen, right? Aerobic with oxygen, right? That's one half of the energy system there <laughs> with many different particles of energy system throughout, but then also anaerobic without. So, so we're looking at, that's the specific discipline. Um, what do we think in Aaron? Like 90, 90, 90%, 90, 95%. I, I, like we need to be talking round numbers here. Cause those are the type of numbers that make sense to people. If, if the 95th percentile is the pace that you would run your 400 meter at, and the 100 meter dash is 100%, I would say the 800 is probably around 90. Right? So so, so that's where I, where I would say okay. uh, yeah, if, yeah. We're t- if we want round percentiles, 90%. I, I, would, I would run an 800 meter at 90%. I would run a, a 400 at 95. <laughs> that, that, that's, an, that's an easy place to begin. Yeah, so, right. so we're trying to at least define the anaerobic system compared to the aerobic system. Um, now, if we're looking at maximum heart rates, et cetera, I, I think those are also going to equate there. So it's going to be really hard to see, okay, what's my average heart rate for, or, or what's my current heart rate for a 400? You're, in a 400, you're focusing on just pressing as hard as possible. But in the aftermath, if you were an accurate heart rate monitor, you could actually look at, okay, like, is this 95% of my max heart rate or am I running the first half of this 400 just way too hard? You, you could, you could probably look at that. Um, that that's essentially how, where I would define anaerobic versus aerobic with the 1500 meter run. I think we're, we're starting to then trend towards more, more of a hybrid of aerobic anaerobic Uh, to me, the 1500 is that, discipline. So if we were to equate that to ultra running, what is our shortest, fastest type races in our sport? I think we could kind of look at mountain running, the type of discipline that Andy Wacker, Joe Gray, um, perform, uh, have performed for many years. That's to me like the 800 to 1500 meter zone (laughs) in our sport. And those are very specific type of athletes. I, I think we could look at um, other men like, like Ace Brown, I, I feel like Morgan Elliott, you coach Morgan, right? Like, I, I feel like they are those type of athletes that have a really high power output. They have experience running, you know, four minutes to four minutes, 10 seconds in the mile, all those athletes. Um, the, those are, those, are, that's a very particular skill set. Now, if you can develop that skill set for runners that, can specialize in that mountain running, but transition them well into the hundred mile distance, they're going to have the full breadth of experience in the spectrum there. Now, I think we could look at Claire Gallagher and Jim Wamsley and say, wow, they're extremely skilled in the Olympic distances. They spent a long time, Claire at Princeton, Jim at Air Force, 
developing those anaerobic systems, developing their 1500 meter ability, their 3K steeple ability. And they then transitioned into shorter ultras, mid-range ultras. And now the gold standard to me, like the 100 mile distance. There's a reason that Claire has the record at Western States from Portland Rocks to the finish. And she's run it minutes, minutes, minutes faster than any other woman. Like she's had a lot of experience running at high intensities and she's very gutsy runner <laughs> that really wanted that title in, in 2019. Okay. So w- we see those type of athletes in our sport. Uh, and I think that everyone can benefit from that type of work at some point in their career to, to develop a, a, a greater skill set across the board. Right. Um, and you know, we, you know, we kind of talked about how we, uh, we would do this, um, almost cyclically or, um, phases, uh, you know, um, so when, when we talk about a phase, I always like to kind of tell people, you know, like we're looking at, you know, four to five weeks, you know, it, it, at this, you know, this intensity, um, and especially for people that are newer to it, you know, one session, I just want one session. And when we're talking about this intensity, I keep it on the the lower end of how how long in duration. Um, so, you know, for for my we'll say my newer runners to this type of workout, uh, I'm looking at about you know ten to fifteen minutes um, of you know of high intensity at most with uh, equal rest. So if I did a one minute interval, I do one minute rest, right? Or if we're doing it on hills, you know, I, I make sure it's, it's almost complete rest, you know, go do your hill session, whatever it takes to get you back down and you're recovered, whether that be walking and getting to the bottom and having to stand for a moment and make sure that, you know, that heart rate drops and you feel ready again. You know, that's, that's the big thing here because with these high intensity intervals, we create so much fatigue and it's so easy to go too hard, especially at the beginning when you're feeling fresh, we go too fast. And that's the number one thing I have to tell the athletes is, start a little bit slower, work into these. I want you to finish like you could have done more. Okay. And that's the hardest thing I think for an athlete to to do is to not tap out and to go into the well, especially at this intensity, because we're not trying to do the hundred percent, but that's, that's in our nature, right? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) To go a hundred percent. So, um, and you know, I'd also like to, like, when we talk about these intervals, um, how far would you say if we were talking time, uh, you know, how far would you um, allow an athlete to, to go time-wise um, in that intense, you know, we'll, we'll say 90% because I don't like my athletes to do more than, you know, like I, I even term it as like 5K, right? Like my 90% for them is is 5K. Like I want them to pretend like it's a 5K effort and they were going out for a 5K on that interval. So even if it was a minute, I want you to pretend like you're in the middle of a 5K and run that minute like you were in a 5K. So that's that's kind of my cutoff. Um, you know, you termed it as um, as ninety percent being like you know uh, an eight hundred, um, but you know I, I I try to make them understand it's you know it's like a five k effort. I don't want mile effort, and I especially don't want the eight hundred or the four hundred. <laughs> I don't want to touch those. You know, I think it gets a little too hard sometimes, and that's where it gets really hard to recover from. And then we start setting ourselves up because we we create that fatigue. The body starts you know kind of. Uh, having worse form, if you will, because you're fatigued. And that's when injury sets in. So, um, 
like, you know, if we're talking duration, oh, again, okay. back okay. to the question, I'm sorry. <laughs> if we're talking duration, um, like, ha- like um, you know, as I said, I, I set it up, you know, a minute, but what's the, what's the top end for you for this, uh, for these intervals? If, if we're talking the 800 type work, I'm talking about 30 seconds. Like, I, I don't think any more than that. And, and that's mm-hmm. a, that's a very particular type of athlete that I would ever have do that type, that kind of work, right? Like, if this is your first time doing speed work, the zone that you're describing, 5K race pace type work, maybe 3K to 5K race pace type work, let, let's say 5K is 90%. I'm flexible here. I'm, I'm just, you know, talking off the cuff and making up numbers. So, so if, if we're saying <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. together that oh, yeah, 90% totally. is yeah. 5K, that 95% is reaching 1,500, that above that is reaching 800, um, 90% or 5K type work, I have athletes on a semi-regular basis do 5k intervals fart like style, maybe minute on minute float or minute on 45 seconds float. Um, I I wouldn't go more than a minute there. I I don't think that unless you have a very specific off season that you want to do some 5k, 10k development, maybe for a cycle, or you're, you're talking about a phase, but I, I describe cycles, four to five week cycles, um, phase being half of a year. Um, if we're talking cycles, I, I wouldn't have that athlete go more than a minute at 5k pace, right? Now, if, if we're doing 10k pace, so let's just describe 10k as 85%. We're, we're working with round 5% numbers here. Um, 10%, I might have that type of athlete do up to three minutes of work. I, I think that's effective. I really like those type of three minute to one minute intervals. Even in my own training, I think it helps me to stimulate running efficiency and economy, like doing 20 by 30 seconds on 30 seconds off at say marathon pace and coming back with hundred mile cruise pace, marathon pace and hundred mile cruise pace. I do a lot of RPE myself. I hardly ever look at the watch. I look at the data after the run. I don't look at mile splits. So I love the, that type of speed play. I think it's extremely effective and I think it it can be effective for many different types of ultra runners, but you need to think about where you want to place that in your training. Once again, I I, I don't, I don't feel as though there's a ton of benefit of going faster than half marathon RPE in the final six weeks of training for, for an important ultra to you. Cause I, I think the cost is just too high and really in the final 21 days of peaking for a race, I drop volume and, and I drop a lot of the quality. I, I, I don't see a lot of, uh, I don't see a positive effect of running a lot of volume or a lot of quality in the final 21 days before a hundred. So once again, periodization and specificity are really important. Like I like the way that you describe, if you're working with someone that's running trail ultras, do your fart licks on the trail and your recovery could be power hiking at, two and a half miles per hour, if that's what it takes for you to get your heart rate back down between 100 and 120 before you fire the next one hard mm-hmm. at yeah, exactly. 185 beats a minute <laughs> for 30 seconds. Like I, I think right. that doing it on the type of train you're going to race on helps with that specific type of running efficiency or running economy. Morgan Elliott's definitely given me some lessons like early in my trail running times where he says, look, you're taking two steps right there. You should be taking five, man. 
<laughs> that's why you're rolling your ankle like every other yeah. mile on this 30 mile run. You know, <laughs> I, I've done a couple of my, my first like 30 mile runs on trails with Morgan. And I learned a lot about the difference in proper running efficiency and running economy foot strike, um, how heavy of a supinator I was <laughs> in my early days of running trails with Morgan. And there, that goes back to specificity as well. Right. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, I, I've, um, do you ever kind of cross over the systems? Um, for instance, um, have kind of a threshold and, um, max VO2 intervals, or do you keep those two systems distinct, uh, for your workouts? You've done some of my workouts and you know that we blend like half marathon or even 10 K pace with marathon or 50 K pace. Sometimes like the lumberjack, for example, that's just a Northern Arizona university concept where we open up with two by 800 at half marathon. Then we do, uh, you know, two mile to three mile, um, broken tempo interval there at, uh, you know, 50 K to marathon pace. Then we do two more 800s at closer to 10 K. Then we go back to marathon to 50 K for two to three miles. And then we maybe close up with a little bit of kind of 5 K, 10 K pace. Yeah. I like blending because I think it goes back to speed play. And I think it for the right, for the right type of runner, I think that type of speed play of working on this end of the aerobic system, this end of the aerobic system in the same workout gives you the ability to respond to surges, to make moves in your neighborhood in the race. That type of training, I, I think, is effective. Um, to me, like, I, I like, as much as the physiology, I like, like, the ambiance of a session. And that session has a really feel-good, um, it, it has a feel-good kind of, like, uh, you complete it and you're like, man, I, I touched a lot of different paces today. I, I really like the way I felt on the tempo session sections. They got harder as I went because I was building some lactate up <laughs> during those 800 meter intervals. And those 400s at the end at, at 10 K pace were really tough. You know, does it physiologically make a ton of sense? I, I think enough. So, <laughs> and I think the speed play is really enjoyable. So for me, like I want a runner to leave my program, like enjoying running as much or more than they did when they started. So, so to me, <laughs> if I'm, whether I'm coaching myself or someone else, I want them to have those type of sessions that are, that are just kind of fun too. <laughs> like, like this is a fun session and it makes a lot of sense. And it's not just another eight mile tempo, like, wow, eight miles at marathon again, you know, like, Oh, whoa, I, I've got something totally different this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that type of work and like over unders, I think are really fun. Like where you do a K at this effort, K at this effort back and forth. Um, yeah, there, there are a million different ways to cut it. Right. And I don't think it all comes down to physiologically doing exactly the right thing when it comes to ultra running. I've had great hundreds where I've done a ton of speed work and then I didn't do speed work at all from Western States to Brazos and, and nailed two hundreds. Cause I was just having fun with my training, you know? So uh, I, I think like the psyche is really important yeah. too. Like, how are you treating the runner in terms of giving them sort of what they're asking for and what they're indicating they need at that time? I think less about physiology and more about right. keeping them enjoying the training. 
Yeah. And I, I, I think that's a, you know, a great place for, for fartlicks, right? I think most runners enjoy fartlicks because of the lack of structure. Like, you know, I may just put on there. I want a 40 minute fartlek today on single track. Like, I, you know, my only stipulation is that, you know, it's uh, less than the two minute interval and that the, you know, the, the effort stays below, you know, 85%, 80 to 85%. Those are my only conditions. You can do it however you want. You can take as long as you need for recovery. I don't care how many intervals it is. I don't, you know, and just stay within those parameters and that's your workout. Like just have a good time. Enjoy it. And most runners come back and said, that was fun. Like I had a good time, (laughs) you know, because like they weren't thinking about their watch. They weren't thinking about their heart rate. They were just thinking about the trail. They were focused on the trail and they're like, I'm going to move faster this section, you know, and it, it makes you realize that you can move quicker on the trail. And that's, you know, kind of the, the purpose of a workout should be to kind of make you more comfortable when you're out there. Right. And make you, you know, feel like uh, you can move better on the trail, more efficiently on the trail, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, you know, like recognizing I should take shorter steps here. These are things that, you know, like you can process when you're out there. Um, yeah, and so, you know, I like the workouts that kind of that simulate what you're going to do, you know, in a race. I think the the greatest um, workout that was ever set up for me that like I finally realized what the point of it was, was, oh, um, oh man, you know, they term it the Michigan, <laughs> oh, um, man. you know, it's made up session. by the University of Michigan. Yeah. So we called it the Frazier, right? So, um, you know, at state, we called it the Frazier. Actually, you know, I, I just read like Lope magazine, the article about why we call it the Frazier. I never knew. Um, but my coach, Raleigh Geiger, met the coach from Michigan oh, okay. and they were having lunch at the Frazier. <laughs> and they and that's where Geiger learned about this workout. And so he brought it back to NC State. Now, I wasn't per se a 10K runner. This this race or this yeah. workout was designed to set up like a 10K. Like you were running a 10K. Yeah. You know, it, it kind of um, progresses, right? So you start out with a 1600 on the track, right? And then that 1600 is kind of, you know, it's mild paced, we'll say. You know, it's it's not definitely nowhere near all out or super hard. It's just a, it's a solid effort. But then you take like short recovery. I'm talking like, you know, less than 200 meters and you do a 2K tempo. And we did it on a grass loop. Um, it just had a good sustained tempo pace. Then you get that short rest back to the track. Then you do a 1200 slightly faster than the mile, right? Cause now the race is starting to pick up in the 10 K, but you still have to sustain that pace. Cause you're going right back to do another 2k tempo. So you go back and do that 2k tempo, just sustaining, right? We're still working that threshold. Then back to the track for an 800 now slightly faster than that 1200. And then you back to the tempo, do two more 2k more. Yeah, and then back yeah, to the yeah. track for an all out four. Cause now you're closing that 10,000, which was really cool. You know, to realize you're just like, wow, I just ran, you know, a 10K, you know, in, in all this effort, I just set up, a, you know, and did a 10K and that's how it should be raced, you know, slightly getting faster and faster. It was so seeing that I was like, wow, you're that's simulating really, your race. Like, that's how, it's you know, specificity to the highest workout, Right, right. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, that's, you know, that's what we should be doing in our workouts, like setting it up. So, you know, and that's why I asked you about mixing it because, you know, races, they, they have times where even if it's not a surge, right. If we were talking 5k and 10k, there's a hill, 
right? And that's going to require more effort. So you have to be ready for that extra effort, right? So now we've thrown in this harder effort in the middle. So your body knows what it's like because you've been sustaining, right? We sustain. You talked about the lumberjack with our, our 10 minute tempo, right? And then we throw in an interval that kind of jacks that up a little bit. That could be a surge. That could be a hill. I mean, you know, it could be a million things for any runner. So it's, it's kind of getting used to these, um, these, you know, situations that arise, um, you know, like Umstead coming up, it's, you know, just very kind of similar like a to Havelina, really roller of just a course. Right. Ups and, and downs, <laughs> it's, like, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. 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 Ups and downs. Yeah. So it, it's just preparing the body for these undulations, these, if you will, spikes in heart rate, you know, so you're, you're kind of throwing in these intervals to kind of match that and understand, you know, it's not going to be all consistent. We're not running on a flat track. That's just going to be, you know, we want to grind that heart rate at the same, you know, it's, it's we're going to have these ups and downs and you have to be ready for it. So, um, you know, preparing these workouts, I think is great to simulate what the runner is going to face. Um, and mixing those, those zones. Yeah. The, mi- the Michigan isn't incredibly different Absolutely. from the lumberjack. And yeah. I use that session, you know, collegiately with, with different lengths of intervals, you know, closer to 1200 meters or one mile tempos with opening with fours, fours in the middle, two hundreds at the end. Right. Like, like that makes sense for a collegiate five K female, uh, you know, six K, you know, female runner, um, and a eight K or 10 K you know, cross country runner. Cause yeah, you're trying to close hard much like the Michigan. Um, I, and I think it's fun. Like I, I love your perspective on giving a runner, Hey, today I want you to do, uh, you know, 40 minutes at, at these efforts to, you know, sometimes I like to write in, Hey, I want, I want you to have fun with a cut down run today, like 12 miles. I want you to choose paces that are between easy, moderate, just South of 50 K and progress all the way to half marathon. If, if the body's feeling good enough to do so today, have some fun with it. Like just get creative for, uh, eight miles after you do a two mile warm up and, and just jog a little grass loop towards the end, you know, like, like one mile, nice, easy jog at the end. Um, let some of that lactate disperse, you know? So uh, I, yeah, I, I think allowing the runner to feel invested in a program <laughs> and to get creative it is important too. Um, there, there were definitely times as a coach where I was very rigorous. Like, this is the program. This is, this is how you do it. Like, you know, we don't pivot off this. I think that's, I quickly adapted out of that. Once I saw it, it's too, too rigorous for a lot of personality types. There are other personality types just to play devil's advocate here. Aaron, that I think would struggle with that type of session. Right. <laughs> and you have to know your runners. Like the, the better, you know, the athletes that oh, you yeah. work with, personality wise, you know, you get to know them outside of just training, you'll know which ones that type of session would work well for, and you'll know which ones cannot deal with, with that sort of description They're like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> well, here's four or five examples you choose from them. Like at least, <laughs> but the, the more creative you get, at least for me, the more creative I'm allowed to get with my program, the more a coach allows me to pivot and do different things and, and move things around. Like when I was working a lot with Magda, just moving things and training peaks. Cause my body wasn't feeling good this day. I think it's a 50, 50 street there where the coach and the athlete learn how to work together a little better. And the coach gets as much information yeah, from the athlete yeah. and can work more effectively if they're given some liberties and they're like, wow, you know, this person only needs one session a week or this person only needs two sessions a month. 
and that's when they're their fittest. You know, like I think if an athlete over and over again, like can only complete 50% of the workouts, you should probably be giving them 50% of the workouts <laughs> or, or you should be slowing them down on their recovery days. It's like one of the two. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, to your point that that's, uh, you know, precisely what I, I tell my athletes is, you know, your schedule is not concrete. You know, I put on there, this is the day I suggest it because of the recovery process. If you get to that day and, you know, let's say you had like, oh my God, I had the most stressful day of my life. I feel like crap. Yeah. It's not that day. <laughs> you know, I don't want you doing a, a hard effort, you know, whatever it may be yeah. on that day. Even if it's like a long run, you know, I'm like, let's move it. Let's just hold off. Let's move it. That's it's easy enough. Yeah. I, you know, I can move anything behind it as well. Like it's not that you have to, you have to do it as the schedule says, listen to your body. And yeah, I, like, yeah. I have athletes that like, like no, no, it's on schedule. <laughs> you know, they're just that OCD. And, uh, but you know, it's the athletes that, like you said, listen to their body and know this is not the day that they're the ones that have more success because they are the ones that are more attuned with their body and they do it on the day that their body says, this is the day. So, you know, I encourage everybody out there to, to kind of get to that point with themselves that they can like listen to their body, you know, and, and thankfully I've, it's taken me a long time, <laughs> but like now I know today it really needs to be easy. Today is not the day to push, you know, and, and it's, you know, long run, same thing. It's like, all right, you know, I, I was going to do this today, but I'm going to back off because it's just, it's not in my legs today and it's going to take you longer to recover, you know? So just keep that in mind, you know, if you're fatigued, recover, you know, it, yeah. it's not worth well, pushing I mean, through it because then you just I was, get some I was going to do uh, <laughs> so. you know, the session I did yesterday, the day before, but you know what? I actually felt like just walking two miles with my dogs with a weight vest and playing my instrument for two or three hours. Like I just didn't feel like doing it. And it didn't make sense for me to do it emotionally and physically that day. And I knew it. And yesterday I had a better session because of it. Right. <laughs> I believe that pivoting that way, no matter what Good. level you're at is important. And like, whether you work with a coach or not, whether you write your own training or a coach writes your training, it's a rubric. It's not like you, like you described, it's not concrete. It's a rubric designed to get you within 5% of your, your best day at, at the ultra you're going to compete at. But I would rather a runner go in 90% as fit as they could have been, but 100% as fresh mentally and physically as they could have been on race day. Because I think that those are the days that you have really, really special races. Like they're, they're unique. Like you go in really fresh, you go in about as fit as you could have been. You probably got a little fitter <laughs> in your hundred mile race for your next training block. These things, these things extrapolate, right? Like. I'm a big believer that, uh, experiences build on each other. Like, I think there are definitely, there are definitely coaches that say like training blocks don't build on each other. Um, I, I think I've even heard Jason Coop say that, and I understand that physiologically, but I think that experiences and train and experiencing different types of training and different training blocks, different coaches, those things do build upon each other and you become a stronger alternator because of it. Yeah, it is a cumulative effect. It, ha it has been yeah, for me. A cumulative like, effect. Yeah. If someone yeah. told me I needed to run 100 miles tomorrow, I think I could execute very well because I just know how to eat and know how to do it. You know, <laughs> be like, man, I wish I wish you'd have told me I, I wouldn't have ran 13 yesterday, but all right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, sure, I could complete it and it would probably be pretty evenly paced. Um, you know, yeah. and, and I could eat three to 400 calories an hour and yeah, it'd be, it'd be okay.
there it's it's kind of that maturization yeah. right like you've you've matured to to that point right it's i think sometimes we get so excited by a, a distance or a race that sometimes we push ourselves a little too soon to that and we decrease the longevity yeah. of our career you know in in that realm right so um kind of like what you were talking about earlier you you knew it was too much when you did oh, yeah. western states uh Havelina and um Brazos right it, that you knew post fact you're like that was too much uh, it, you know I think a lot of times we get so excited and you know I kind of talked about this in an article I just wrote where we've got that fear of missing yeah. out especially after last year right because we missed out on a lot every yeah, we're, you we're know, the hundred yourself included right and you didn't get to do just, the Western just state. as crushing <laughs> uh, <that's laughs> you know or the hundred k yeah which Absolutely. Right. So, you know, this year we're like, well, you know, like we have so many options and it's like, I want to do them all. And it's, it's the conversation that I have with my athletes to, to show them right in writing, like put it on the calendar and show them, look at what you're doing. Does that make sense? Like, you know, is that feasible? Is that sustainable? Yeah. Like, you know, we've got years, right? We've got years to go. It, this is one. This is one year. I know some of these races, if it's hard to get into, do that one, right? If it's if the other one's not hard to get into, hold off. You know, let's let's save it. You know, save yourself because I, I want to see it sustainable. I want to see people in this long term. So if you're looking at races and you're like, I've got three races this month, like, you know, honestly, take a step back and say, is that okay? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be able to race at all the rest of this year, you know, due to that? So, I mean, you know, it, I, I, I wish people would take yeah. that step back sometimes, um, you know, and, and myself included, you know, like sometimes I need like my wife, <laughs> it was my voice of reason to be like, really, you're, you're doing that. <laughs> sure. And I, I, I'm like, oh, good point. <laughs> you know, so it, it's good to have, even if it's not a coach, it's good to have a significant other or a friend, you know, that can tell you, I wouldn't do that, you know, like have, you know, have that relationship in, you know, in your life that, that can be that, that red flag, waving that red flag and say, that might not be the best idea. Cause I mean, you know, if we're not, if we're not thinking into the future, if we're just thinking in the present, it's, you know, it's definitely detrimental to your health. Um, yeah. Not, not only your physical, but your mental health. Yeah. Right? You, you, you have just to feel think about burnt, right. How that's, is that's, that's the thing this about 12 months so, going to impact the next six months? And the, the experience, the personal experience that you brought up of me doing, you know, carbon X into Western States, that was really demanding. And a lot of athletes would have just had like a quite an easy fall. I wanted to see what was possible for me at the age of 33. Like, could I have a Jeff Browning kind of year nail three really good hundreds, um, all in the same, you know, all in the same six or seven month period and what would I feel like after it? And it, it definitely cost me. I think it would have been better for me, Aaron, if I would have said, okay, uh, which I'm usually pretty good at, like scheduling the, the 18 months, the 18 month periods of time. It would have been better for me if I wouldn't have gone to Tarawera <laughs> in February. If I would have just done a local 50K in March, right? Which, <laughs> which wouldn't have happened anyway. Like we're removing the concept of COVID occurring. But if I had to do it over... I would have opened up with a low key local 50 K in March and run it at like 80% 50 K effort. Just go enjoy it. Your first long run of the year and your build to Western States. So wh when I work with the run with, when I work with my athletes, my 
my runners, I say, okay, this is a very ambitious year. What, what does the first six months of your next year look like? So I try to get them thinking about like 18 months of training and racing. Right. I, I work with a man in Texas. Uh, okay. He won't mind me mentioning his name. I don't think Barry Sterling. And yeah. He had a really ambitious schedule where he was going to do 300s and they, in, in one year. And it was his, his first year of doing hundreds. And he ended up doing one of them. And this year he came to me with the schedule and he's like, I'm just doing lead man. I said, that's awesome. You know, he, he ran under 22 hours at Havelina. Like he got his <laughs> B goal there. It was his first hundred. Uh, I was really happy for him. And he came back and said, you know what? I just did 100 last year. I'm going to do this hybrid of like biking and running this year, but I have one eagle and that's lead man. And, and I loved hearing it. He didn't say I have lead man. And then I'm also going to do Brazos Ben hundred. He just said, we're focusing on this. So, so from a coaching perspective, like, doesn't that also help you Aaron to hear, see a runner, like develop in that way. And then when you do go sit and have dinner with your wife and you say, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about adding one additional race before I'm stead. She's like, is it reasonable? Why, why do you need to try? Why do you need to travel on a, on a plane, go run a 50 mile or four weeks from Umstead? Just do one in your own backyard. Like you did, like, y- you know, like think about what the race is going to cost you. I-, I like to tell runners that the year, the best years I've had have had no more than four a races. I may have raced six or eight times, but I only raced four times hard. Right. And I think the probably even better just do three, a races, right. And make sure you don't have more than probably two hundreds is realistic. Like uh, I, I like three. I really do. If, if I could, I would just race four hundreds yes, right. and, and not do any other races the rest of the year period. Uh, just cause I really like them. I, I really like what I go through mentally and physically, but I know that would cost me in a couple years. So pick a schedule that's sustainable for you as a runner, right? That's sustainable for yeah. a person in your position. Don't look at Jim's schedule. Don't look at Courtney DeWalter's schedule. Like, like they're pros. It's what they do. Say what makes sense for my life? What's, what's going to result in, uh, uh, a solid endocrine system, like a healthy musculoskeletal system, a strong mind. And how is that going to balance with my family life? Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's huge. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, and what races will, you know, yeah. will give you that satisfaction that you felt like this meant a lot to me. Right. I mean, cause if you, you're just putting stuff like, Oh, this is a local one that I do all the time but it's like two weeks from your goal race. Like, you know, you have to take those things into consideration. Is that, you know, is it worth it? That's, and like you said, that's why I set up my own 50 miler. Like, you know, it, there was nothing that would have fit, you know, right where I wanted it to in my training for Umstead. So I was like, well, I'm not going to force it. I'm going to put it where I want it. And I'm just going to, you know, simulate it the best I can. And, you know, it worked out for the best. You know, I, I was really happy that, I got out there. I had a bunch of friends come out and run it with me. It was probably a better experience than had I just gone to a race and run 50 miles by myself. I'll be honest. Um, you know, I, I, like I hit the pace I wanted to, um, I simulated Umstead like almost to a T, you know, with elevation gain distance on the loop, you know, uh, feeding everything. It was, you know, so like you said, make sure it makes sense for your schedule. You know, like I know, like, you know, going into a year, 
you know, this year I need a Western States qualifier. So um, I'm, that's what I'm said is my Western States qualifier. Now I'm, I'm waiting on the the hard rock, you know, to see if I move up on the, the wait list or not. And if I don't, I'm going to need another qualifier. Um, so, I mean, those are things that like I have to take into consideration. So yeah, I may have to go back to like grindstone or something this fall. Um, so like I have to take that into consideration in the rest of my schedule, you know, like I, I don't know, I may have to sign up for it just so I know I'm in yeah. and I may not race it, but you know, it's, it's there and that may be, have to be my focus. So, uh, you know, but you may sign up for races and you just eat it. <laughs> That's the point of it. You know, it's like, you know, sometimes you, it just doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to. Um, but, um, you know, and I'd like, I, well, I think when I, when I was most impressed by what you did was when you went over to, to France, when we were over there and you did the 50 K and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to race this. Like I I'm here, to, you know, to, to run, but not to, you know, to get in this and, and grind and really, you know, put a, a hard effort into this. Cause that's not where I'm at. And I'd like to your credit, I mean, solid field. You didn't, you just, you ran your race. You did what you needed to do that day. Oh, and yeah. what was it I like a day, day or two later, you were doing the vertical, vertical pay. Pay with, with <laughs> you know, my, my, my boss, my manager at Hoka, uh, that the Killian's record is like 41 <laughs> minutes up or something. And it's a lot of like sketch to me, for me, it's like sketchy climbing on like ladders and stuff. Yeah. Like you can go to events and not run at a hundred percent, no matter what level you're at, you can do that. But I I mean, it's not for everyone, but Mm -hmm. I I did that at way too cool in my approach to Western States. Cause I knew the next day I was supposed to run from forest hill to the river. Like I needed to not try to win way too cool that year. It was literally Magda's prescriptions. He said, if you, if you go and, and run this like a race, I'm going to be very, very angry with you because you're supposed to run to the river the next day. That's going to take you three hours. And I want you to experience like what it feels like to go through Devil's Thumb and Forest Hill intelligently and then what your quads are going to feel like going down to the river. And I think that was the absolute best thing like like someone that managed me did for me in my approach to Western States. Cause my, my quads in the race on race day at Western States felt better than that. <laughs> you know, they literally felt better than when I ran way too cool the day before and did it. So, and we're, we're talking 30 miles of difference there. So it, it gave me a good idea of like how much work I was going to need to do in the next few months with the weight vest, with power development, with conditioning my quads for Western States. Cause I knew that if my quads felt like this, I won't be top 10 at Western States. They, they need to be stronger gave me a great respect for the event. Um, much like, much like running OCC and not being able to catch Ruth Croft and her just annihilating me. Like she just, I, I ran, I think sub six minutes for the last mile and could not catch her. Like she, she just out descended me, like out climbed me. Like I, there was just no way I was catching her that day, man. Like she was on fire. I'm not discounting. Like, like I don't like to say, Oh, I just took it easy. I'm, I, I'm not trying to discount the runners ahead of me. I don't think I could beat those runners anyway. <laughs> like, I think I may be able to be five or 10 minutes faster, but there's no way I'm beating it. <laughs> uh, at the Solomon runner at OCC. There's absolutely no way. I have no business podiuming that race. For me, it was a question of like, if I run trans Rockies for six days with a partner and then I go to uh, OCC and run, this, this should be how I feel at about 50 miles of UTMB that gave me a good idea of like, do I want to run UTMB? And the answer is probably no. (laughs) Um, 
you know, it's, it's just outside my skill set. We, we talked about this in the approach to the podcast of like picking <laughs> races that, that fit your skill set, that fit your environment. Um, to, to me, that's really important. And uh, I, I've kind of ruled some out, at least for now, mm-hmm. by, by doing that, by, by experimenting with races as B or C races. Yeah. Well, you know, and we've, I've kind of talked about this in, in previous podcasts is, you know, you can get into a race and like, it may not be your day. And, you know, like you, you talked about your, um, your athlete that, that did the hundred miles and he hit his beagle, you know, and even beyond that, like, it may be a day where you have to pull the plug, you know, like you're, you're potentially leading yourself down a road where you're going to either a have to take too long to recover from it or B you're going to get injured, you know? And, and so knowing when to walk away and fight another day, even though it means that you're, you're going to get a DNF and you're, you're, you're stepping away from that. It may be better because in the long term you're going to come back to running quicker. You're going to be, you know, healthier, faster. And I mean, think about when you get injured, like what that does to you, not only physically, but mentally, you, you know, you're not running. So you're, you're upset. <laughs> so, you know, do you want that just so you can get across the finish line? I guess that, you know, also depends on the race, like, right. So, I mean, like if, if somebody was at Western States or UTMB or one of these, you know, massive races where it's taken them years to get in, you know, potentially as long as you're not going to do, you know, serious harm to yourself, I can understand, you know, trying to get across the finish line, but you know, with these smaller races, like, you know, I, I did a a 50 K not too long ago and I just knew my calf was about to pull, you know, I was just like, you know, I knew it early and it was, it was actually on the downhills. I was like, wow, it's just, it's not, it's not right. You know, like it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be worse if I try to keep going on this. So I pulled the plug early as hard as that was, you know, like I wanted to, wanted to race, especially after, you know, months of not racing, but knowing those times, right. That's, you know, that's also, that's also really, I mean, it takes some maturity to realize like I, I, this is, it's okay if I DNF, I mean, I'm okay. If ultra signup says DNF after my name on this race, (laughs) you know, like it's, it is what it is. I'd rather, you know, live to run another day. Um, but, and I'm sure you've had those, those moments as well. Um, where it's just like, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not in it today and, and it's, it's going to be, you know, be worse thereafter if I try to finish this. Um, what do you like uh, when they get into those? I had a runner that was preparing for Umstead as well. And Rocky raccoon was our kind of BC training race. Our last 50, he ran the 50 there and it was his last, like, you know, approach into the event and something just wasn't right with his hamstring at like mile 22 to 30. And and it wasn't really something we talked about in the approach, but he made the right decision. He knew what a B or C race was and that the overarching goal. Sure. Like he was in position to definitely podium Rocky raccoon 50. Like he was actually leading at mile 30. And, and I thought this will be a huge day for him. You know, he's a master's runner like he just nailed two 50 K's in the approach. He went one bandera 50 K like this is going to be such a good day for him. But he knew, even though we didn't particularly talk about it because we talk about the difference between the a race, the race you invest in emotionally that you're peaking for, that is your goal race and a B or C race that is more training and preparation for the overarching goal. And he knew to pull. He's like, Hey, mile, mile 30, mile 32. I felt like I could, I could tear my hamstring or, or turn the strain into something worse. And it might result in me not running Umstead and he's not running Umstead like anyway, <laughs> but the the point is 
he knew he compromised something that was acute that popped up out of the middle of nowhere. And he also had the maturity to say, Hey, I'm also pulling from Umstead because it's not worth all the work we put in to sacrifice the health of my body and my hamstring um, to maybe not have a summer or a fall. <laughs> so those moments are important. Like I, I didn't want to pull from project carbon X, but I knew the health of my calf w- and the importance of Western States, the importance of tunnel Hill in the fall to me are, were much more important than me trying to make it 30 miles. And it, it just, it just didn't make sense. Like you have to know when to DNS, <laughs> like do not start. And you have to know when to DNF. And that starts with you talking with your coach right. about uh, right. the priority of a race. And and is it an A race? Is it a race that this might be my only time I ever get a chance to earn my Western States or Vermont or Umstead belt buckle? Like this might be my one shot to get that buckle. And a preparation race, which is a B or C. That's a, that's a training race. Um, I, that's why I say like, be very meticulous about designing your race schedule and have an advisor or a coach. Like, like I'm sure you offer consultations, like call Aaron and do a consultation, like call me, schedule a consultation where we can talk you through designing a race schedule. Cause Hey, look, like between the two of us, Aaron, we've got what, like 50 years of running experience, probably <laughs> um, 30 for you, 20 for me. Like we would love to help you all with that. You know, for your listeners, like that's something that yeah. Hey, we, you get both of us on the call. We'll just do a little squad cast. You know, um, I, I love, I love talking with runners about that. Like I, that's just something I offer with my coaching program. I'm like, Hey, I'll help you design a schedule that makes sense because that's the bottom line on teaching and helping you to create an effective schedule. When a runner comes to me with a proposed race schedule of 12 races, like I talk them off it. Like it's just unreasonable. You don't need to run an ultra every month. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a, a good, uh, good point to kind of, you know, uh, wrap up here. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you're interested you, in doing uh, a consultation the, uh, or what's the best way that about, they can find uh, coaching you? with either me or Nicole Manette, who's coming on as a new coach this week with me, um, you can email us at Patrick Reagan running at gmail.com. Uh, if you'd like to follow along in my adventures, um, you could just check me out on Instagram at Patrick Reagan running. Uh, that's R E A G A N spelled just like, like old Ronnie there. Thank and you for your time, buddy. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and, and, uh, for, you know, for being a, a good friend. Well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Patrick. Um, you know, we, we really got, uh, <laughs> going down a few different avenues and, uh, I think we really, you know, had some really great discussion, which actually prompted us, as I mentioned in my lapis episode to, uh, to want to create a, uh, another type of, uh, podcast because, uh, when we finished that conversation, we just went on and talked about all things running, what's going on in the sport, uh, results from, you know, across the, uh, the world and, and different types of running, you know, be it road racing, uh, cross country, uh, old running, everything, mountain running, everything. We, we, we just, really had a fun conversation afterwards i truly wish we had recorded it uh, actually i thought about it when we were mid-conversation because uh really
really would have liked to share that insight with you all. But um, you know, it's like I said, prompted us to want to start uh, you know doing a more regular podcast together and just kind of talking all things um, running uh, results and you know maybe do a few highlights of uh, of East Coast races uh, since he and I are, are both uh, East Coasters. Uh, Patrick being down in Savannah, Georgia, and as most of you know, I am in Western North Carolina in the uh, Asheville area, and uh, so you know, hopefully uh, after Umstead, uh, which is uh, March twenty seventh, uh, I am uh, going to put this episode out. Um, obviously on March eighteenth, and I'm recording this right here on March fifteenth. So um, yeah, after Umstead, hopefully we'll get back together. We'll probably maybe even just. Uh, you know, talk about Umstead and how it went. Um, but uh, really looking forward to next conversation with Patrick. And I thank him for his time. I mean, you know, like I said in the intro, Patrick has so many cool experiences uh, being top 10 at Western States, uh, you know, Comrades Marathon, jeez, uh, uh, the 100K World Championships, just really cool things. Uh, he was involved in uh, the Carbon X, the first one. Uh, as you discussed in our, our conversation, he decided uh, not to do Carbon X 2 just due to where he was in his training, which was super smart on his part uh, to show restraint and know uh, that the um, larger picture was more valuable to him in his training for for western states i really wish him success in that obviously but hopefully we'll hear from him a number of times before that so stay tuned for that um an update from um natalie daniel uh, Natalie, who was my last podcast guest, we talked about the Brute Challenge, uh, the Blue Ridge Ultra Trail uh, Challenge. She um, she finished Pitchell <laughs> the uh, the day after I released the podcast. I got a, a message from Natalie saying that she had finished uh, and that she did not feel quite recovered from the Massanutten Loop. But amazingly, uh, she did it. She broke 20 hours, which is awesome and phenomenal and amazing, as always. So so, um, you know, uh, see, that is what four out of the five. So she has scar left to go. So in our, our messaging, I asked Natalie, um, you know, did she want to come back on and, and, uh, and summarize and, and, you know, you know, kind of give us a recap and, and catch us up. And she said, well, like, why don't we do it after scar? So, um, we're going to, we're going to hold off on another episode and, uh, you know, hopefully Natalie finishes that healthy. She's thinking another five to six weeks. So she has a little bit more recovery, uh, and, uh, and is able to, to get back after it. So congratulations once again to, to Natalie, really cool update there. Glad I could follow up on, on that. Um, so um, other news, uh, as I mentioned, um, Umstead rapidly approaches for me, uh, March 27th. Uh, things are, uh, you know, obviously dialed in. Um, it, I'm, you know, I'm getting there. I feel excited. <laughs> I'm kind of, I, I'm sure most of you know the feeling, uh, you know, you wake up in the morning and, and it's, it's one of your first thoughts. Uh, you know, you've got like this big race coming up, your goal race. So I'm um, trying to contain the excitement, you know, as I tell my athletes, um, turn that nervous energy into excitement and uh you know i'm, I'm really looking forward to it um you know, i've got two friends uh i can only have one there at a time uh due to the covid restrictions at umstead so uh we are only allowed to have one person uh they can either be crew or pacer um we cannot have two people out at the course uh which i totally understand and respect 
uh, definitely want to have this event and, and abide by the rules. So, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I had initially asked if, uh, if my wife was there, if, if my kids could be, you know, even just for the finish, but, um, you know, they are really st- sticking to the guidelines and as they should, you know, we are very fortunate to be able to have this event and I'm grateful for it. So really looking forward to the opportunity there. Um, you know, I feel like I got the, uh, the, the gear dialed in. I've been using, um, my revolt, uh, ultra aspire revolt pack. Uh, the revolt is, uh, the predecessor to the Basham. So if you've seen the Basham race vest, the revolt was its predecessor. Um, I did order the revolt, uh, excuse me, the Basham and tried it, but it's just too small. I couldn't reach the bottle. Um, so, um, gonna stick with my revolt. I actually ordered a, um, they made the revolt in a long and I actually found it, um, online and, uh, I, so I got the long. So, um, I, the, the regular size, it still works for me, but I'm excited to, uh, to try the long and see how that fits and feels. Um, cause I do have a longer torso, uh, being about six foot tall. It, it's great if I don't have to reach too high up my back. Uh, so going to try that. Um, footwear, uh, I've kind of started dialing it down to the, uh, the topo footwear, um, the, uh, the cyclones, which I, you know, said they feel a little bit too firm on the roads. They feel pretty good on the trails. So I think they're going to be my backups though. I think I'm going to actually start and run in the Flylight threes. Um, uh, just really been digging the toe box, the midfoot fit, uh, and the underfoot feel. Um, the only thing that has me a little concerned in the Flylight is the, uh, the arch. It, it feels a little bit archy and it feels like it kind of hits me in the wrong spot. Um, so I might do some, uh, um, some old liners, uh, and see if they feel a little bit better. Um, uh, they've got the, uh, ortho liner in the, in the fly light, which, um, you know, they're, they're definitely padded and cushioned, but, uh, like I said, um, you know, I'm going to see if I can take those out, uh, and if it makes the, the arch feel any different. Uh, I really don't want to put an aftermarket insole in there, uh, like a, um, you know, a, a Superfeed or a Curex or anything like that, just because I haven't really run long on those um, and, and don't want to risk, you know, the... the the chance of it not working out or, you know, it causing blisters or anything like that. So, um, idea is to, uh, um, is to either go with the, uh, the, the setup that it comes with or, uh, or put an old pair of liners in maybe the liners from the, the cyclone. Um, but, um, you know, uh, we're, I'm dialing it in. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Um, and everything else is going good. Um, I mean, everything's lining up well. Um, the training has been great. Uh, you know, I'm feeling fresh again, uh, recovered well from the 50 mile effort and the black mountain marathon. Um, so, you know, everything's coming along there. Um, uh, you know, just really looking at what the aid stations have, how far apart they are, uh, just kind of trying to dial in my nutrition plan and, and what I'm going to carry, how much I need to carry, um, and all that good stuff. So, um, that's, you know, all my preparations are coming together, uh, just in the nick of time. So look forward to going down there next week to, to Raleigh. Um, obviously we're going to have one more episode released prior to that. Um, I am actually recording with, uh, my, uh, my best friend and, and former business partner, Scott Sosha and my really good friend, Joe Quinlan. Um, and we're going to be talking about, uh, um, 
functional footwear, uh, both casual and, and running, of course, uh, as well as uh, insoles and orthotics. Uh, they are both certified pedorthists. Uh, to give you a heads up, a pedorthist is a, a person who fabricates orthotics. They are not a doctor. They are certified uh, in the um, ability to create a custom orthotic for uh, a person uh, with uh, a previously diagnosed um, malady or or problem. They do not diagnose. They just help to alleviate or solve problems uh, with uh, the uh, functional devices that they make. So um, looking forward to my conversation with those two. Um, also have a recording with Miriam Saloum. Uh, she is, of course, uh, the physical therapist that takes care of me at the runner's mechanic. Um, we are going to be talking about the IT band. Um, as uh, I talked about with the Black Mountain Marathon, uh, my IT band started to lock up. I don't think I was quite recovered. Well, I, <laughs> I definitely was not recovered from the 50-mile effort the weekend before. Um, but, you know, having that, it's, uh, it kind of hit home. A good thing to talk about. So we are going to talk about the IT band, everything IT, what it is, how uh, it can uh, cause problems, how to resolve it, uh, all that kind of stuff. So um, we'll be talking as well. And I have another conversation scheduled uh, with um, Francesca Conte, uh, who is a, uh, a, a awesome ultra runner in her own right. Um, and she is also a race director. I've done a ton of her races. Um, actually her and her husband Gil is kind of who got me into, um, trail running so much. Uh, they host a lot of races well all over the place now, but at the time it was in Charlottesville, Virginia, when I was living in Virginia while my wife was in medical school. So, um, uh, I look forward to my conversation with her. We are going to be talking about how to uh, train and make yourself prepared and ready for mountain racing, uh, be it just a, a straight-up mountain race uh, like Mount Washington um, or uh, you know, I, a mountain ultra in which, um, you know, a, a ton of vert, uh, both ascent and descent is involved. So, um, she's got plenty of experience from all over the place. She's done all sorts of races. And obviously I have, um, a t- lot of mountain running experience myself, so it should be a fun conversation. Um, so, uh, I appreciate her coming on. Um, other things of note, uh, the April newsletter, my gosh, is almost upon us. So um, if you haven't subscribed to the newsletter, you can hop on my website, mrrunningpains.com, and subscribe. All of my podcast and newsletters are on the website. They are archived under the Connect page. So if you click on the uh, drop-down menu, you'll see Connect. Click on there, and you'll see the links to uh, podcasts, previous podcasts, and previous newsletters and you can check those out. Um, newsletters, uh, basically, I try to put as much information as my you know, feeble brain can, uh, can jot down. Um, you know, and, and I do articles, um, you know, things that I found, resources that I found, uh, you know, recipes, uh, songs to add to your playlist, uh, just you know, all things running. Uh, I really, you know, I've been trying to um, expand the newsletter and, and make it as informational as possible. Uh, you know, it is a free resource to everybody. Uh, as are the podcasts. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, 
I continue to to do these and enjoy doing these, and thankfully now I have the support of Patreon. Um, you know, it's it's uh, Patreon is uh, so uh, listeners such as yourself can hop on Patreon. Uh, there's a link on my website as well if you're interested in contributing. It's a monthly contribution that helps me sustain all of these things that I do: the newsletter, the podcast, um, my YouTube videos, all that stuff. It, it takes time, energy, and my money. So I really, really sincerely appreciate everybody's support that has jumped on Patreon. If you can do it for you know even a dollar a month, gosh, I certainly appreciate that. Um, as well as those that have left a review, um, you know, if you can just leave a review or share the podcast, uh, that all helps spread the word, get it out there. As uh, you know, the reason I do this is is really, uh, I mean, I'm not here to make money off of this. I'm just here to to help um, others in our sport and enjoy um, running. And so I hope that, uh, you're, you're getting stuff out of, uh, out of the podcasts, uh, out of the newsletters, et cetera. Um, and, uh, if you have ideas, um, ideas for guests, um, you know, comments or questions, things you'd like answered, don't hesitate to reach out. My email is runningpains at gmail.com. Uh, it's, you know, there's connect with me page, uh, on the website as well. Uh, you can also reach me on social media. All of my social media handles and, uh, connections are on, uh, the show notes so you can reach me there um and uh yeah i I think that's it for the today's episode um look forward to uh to talking to you guys again next week it's getting super close and obviously i am super excited for umstead so uh without anything else to say i wish you a great week happy running enjoy it smile for me and uh can't wait to see you out on the trails take care